Well, after a a two-week break, we return to our series that's entitled, Blessed Are the Persecuted. Uh, If you're new this morning, uh, in this series, we're looking at ten different Bible characters, all who were persecuted for their faith in God. And as we look at their lives, as we look at the persecution uh, they endured for their faith in God, uh, we are learning how God uses persecution for the good of His people, for our spiritual benefit, and to promote uh, His purposes, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're also learning, of course, how to respond to hostility, how to respond to persecution in a godly Christ-like manner. And also keep in mind that everything that we share concerning persecution and hostility would also apply to any adversity that we would experience as believers. And of course, the best way uh, to get ready for increasing hostility towards Christianity is to learn the lessons God has for you in your trials that you're experiencing uh, today. So I hope you did pick up a a copy of the uh, sermon notes. And uh, this lesson is on uh, Jeremiah, which actually is our third lesson. We've already looked at Joseph, we've looked at David, and uh, today Jeremiah, where we're going to see uh, how to find the strength uh, to stand alone and remain faithful uh, to God. So I'm going to, because of uh, the time limitations with the Lord's Supper, I'm going to stick very closely to the notes. And so you follow along. We'll look up some of these scripture rep- references, and, uh, and I trust this will be meaningful to you. I assumed, uh, dealing with Jeremiah, that you may not be as familiar with him as you were with Joseph and David. And so I've taken a little more time to give you uh, some background and understanding so that you can fully appreciate uh, what this man encountered, how he remained faithful in the midst of his uh, sufferings, and how he was able to draw upon God's strength to do so. So first, look at the man. Uh, He was born into a priestly family, but but called by God to be a prophet. Uh, Jeremiah was known as the, who knows? The weeping prophet, the weeping prophet. Uh, He did not merely speak for God. He felt God's broken heart over the spiritual adultery of his people. Uh, He did not merely speak to God's people. He felt the consequences of their sin, and he suffered with them. Uh, Jeremiah is an object lesson for all times of God's suffering and persevering love in the presence of man's rebellion and sin. Now let's go back and look at some of these references. Uh, And I hope you do have your Bibles open to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, uh, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And uh, look at chapter 1, and I want us to see his calling from God. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. Or before I formed you in the womb, what? I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, Jeremiah, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
Then I said, Jeremiah said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. And let me just pause right there. Uh, Jeremiah is an interesting individual. Uh, he's a mix of strength and weakness. In, in many ways, he's, he's very timid. He's very shy and reticent uh, to assume the call that God has given him. And you see this uh, at the very beginning when God called him here. But the Lord said to me, verse 7, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So God called Jeremiah to be his prophet. And again, this man had a very, very tender heart. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. We'll also look at Jeremiah chapter 14 where we see the tender heart of this man. Many of the prophets had the ability to sort of speak their message and detach themselves from it, but not Jeremiah. He was one with his message. And as we just mentioned, uh, he not only uh, challenged the people over the fact that they had forsaken God, he felt God's broken heart. He grieved with God. And he not only spoke to the people, but he actually suffered with them the, the consequences of their sin. And we see two great examples of this. First, uh, first chapter 9 Verse 1, he says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And then over in uh, chapter 14, we read this in verse 17, And you will say this word to them, Let my eyes flow down with tears night and day, and let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people has been crushed with a mighty blow, with a sorely infected wound. And then look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 15 uh, through 17. Jeremiah 13, verses 15 through 17. Uh, this is a great example where you see him both identifying with God, but also with the people and feeling what they felt. He says, listen and give heed, do not be haughty. This is verse 15 again of chapter 13. For the Lord is spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God. There's his uh, identity with God and his desire for God's glory uh, to shine and for the people to reverence God and to awe God. Uh, and he says, give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness and before your feet stumble on the dusky mountains and while you are hoping for light, he makes it into deep darkness and turns it into gloom. But if you will not listen to it, my soul will sob in secret for such pride. And my eyes will bitterly weep and flow down with tears because of the flock of the Lord has been taken captive. Now look at his message. Going back to the sermon notes, look at his message, the heart of his message. Jeremiah called on the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, the nation of Judah, to repent of their sin or suffer destruction and captivity at the hands of the Babylonians, who were the world empire at this time. 
Now, once the invasion by the Babylonians was certain, uh, because of Judah's refusal to repent, uh, Jeremiah pleaded with his countrymen not to resist, but to submit to the Babylonians to avoid total uh, destruction. Uh, the heart of Jeremiah's message is captured in two recurring phrases. The first one is, I will punish. This is a recurring phrase throughout the book. God says, I will punish you because of your sin for forsaking me. But the second recurring phrase is, I will restore you. So those are the two uh, recurring phrases that sort of capture the heart of his message. Yes, God would punish his people, but he eventually would restore. That Though God would severely wound his people for their sin, the last word would not be the demise of God's people, but the healing of God's people through his love. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Good example of this, Jeremiah chapter 30. And in this passage, you'll see both this concept of God punishing his people, chastising his people for their sin, but also with the promise to eventually restore them. Uh, beginning at verse 11, uh, he says, For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely, but I will chasten you justly. And will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your wound is incurable and your injury is serious. There is no one to plead your cause, no healing for your sore, no recovery for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. He's talking about all the nations they allied with. They had, they had forgotten them. They do not seek you. For I, God, I've wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the punishment of a cruel one. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous. Why do you cry out over your injury? Your pain is incurable. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous, I have done these things to you. So there's that element of punishment. But notice now the shift to this idea of restoration. Verse 16. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. And all your adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. And those who plunder you shall be for plunder. And all who prey upon you, I will give for prey. For I will restore you to health. And I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, saying, It is Zion. No one cares for you. Now look at Jeremiah's ministry. Look at his ministry. Jeremiah was born during the reign of Manasseh. Uh, the most wicked of Judah's uh, kings. Uh, let me just pause right there. You might remember he had the longest reign of any king of Judah. Uh, he uh, literally turned the temple into a house of idolatry, a house of prostitution, uh, where there are many acts of sexual perversion uh, that were committed there. Uh, he actually led the people and the worship of false gods to the point where they began to sacrifice their infants, their babies, to these false gods uh, to try to uh, uh, assure them peace and uh, economic uh, prosperity. And the scripture says how uh, Manasseh literally filled the land from one end to the other with innocent blood that cried out to God uh, for justice. He literally tried to eradicate God's word from, from the culture. This was a very, very wicked man, and it was during that reign 
that Jeremiah was uh, born. His ministry actually began in the 13th year of King uh, Josiah. And Josiah would have been Manasseh's grandson. And his ministry spanned five decades. This man had uh, uh, a very, very long ministry of close to 50 years. And uh, uh, covering Judah's last five kings. He was the last prophet to a decaying nation, calling them to repent and return to God. But here's the key. But he never saw any success in ministry. Now think about that for a moment. Fifty years and never any grateful response. Not a single positive response. No success as God's people plunged into God's judgment. He witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians, and he died during the early years of the 70-year Babylonian captivity. He died in Egypt. Uh, the historical background is found in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, Kings, 2 Kings chapters 21 through 25, and 2 Chronicles chapter 3, 33 through 36. And a, and a good summary of the times in which Jeremiah ministered is found in 2 Chronicles 36, and I would ask you to turn there. Just to give you a flavor of what things were like in Judah uh, during this time. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36, uh, let me begin reading at verse 11. Uh, Zedekiah, uh, this was the uh, last of the kings before the Babylonian captivity. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke for the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. And those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the king, kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So it was uh, Jeremiah that not only warned them of destruction, of judgment, but also told them that that captivity would last 70 years, and after that 70 years, God would restore his people. Now, 
Look at his misery. And this is where we're beginning to get into this element of uh, persecution and hostility. And this, this first statement is not an embellishment. This is just true when you look at the Scriptures. No servant of God ever suffered more physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual anguish over such a long period of time as did Jeremiah. He was called to a ministry of failure that again spanned five decades. Now, when I say failure, not failure in the eyes of God, uh, but in the eyes of men, it would have been viewed a failure. Again, he saw no positive response. Nation plunged into judgment. But of course, God has not asked us to be successful. He's asked us to be what? Faithful. And this man was faithful under the most difficult of circumstances. And notice, he was called to a ministry of failure that spanned five decades where discouragement and depression continually dogged his steps. He was branded a false prophet, a traitor to his nation, bringing him nothing but ridicule, total isolation, and severe persecution. Despite all of this, he never quit and he remained faithful to God to the very end. Now notice, on the back of your sermon notes, the examples of persecution that Jeremiah suffered. And this is just a sampling. I could have listed many, many more. But this gives you at least a flavor of what this man experienced over those 50 years of ministry. Uh, number one, men from his own hometown secretly plotted to kill him. Uh, second, his family betrays him. His own flesh and blood betrays him and seeks to do him in. Uh, third, he is beaten. He's uh, put in stocks uh, to be humiliated publicly. They put him out in front of one of the temple gates in these stocks to uh, humiliate him. He experiences social rejection, uh, mockings, and public ridicule. He says concerning himself, I'm a laughing stock all day long. Number five, all his trusted friends are watching for his fall and ready to take revenge. Uh, the sixth thing there, he is arrested by religious leaders as a traitor to the nation and accused of treason deserving the death penalty. Now, you, now you need to understand uh, why that accusation came. Uh, he was pronouncing judgment on God's people for their sin. And he was saying that that rod of iron that God would use to chastise them would be the Babylonian Empire, the enemy of God's people. And, he, and not only were they going to judge him, he was telling them they need not to resist the Babylonians, but to submit. So, you know, you can imagine, even in our country, we're very, very patriotic. Can you imagine uh, a man of God stand, say, if we were uh, uh, coming under fire from the Russians, North Koreans, you know, just lay down. You know, throw in the towel. Don't submit. Uh, to avoid total destruction. That was exactly his message. So they viewed him as a, as a traitor to the nation uh, that, that had betrayed uh, his country. Uh, the seventh thing there, he was forbidden to go into the temple. And all of his writings are literally burned and destroyed by the king. Now, praise God, he had a scribe that was able to uh, rewrite all of that. And uh, much of that is, of course, contained here in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, number eight, he's beaten. 
he scourged. And this was on numerous occasions he was beaten and scourged. And thrown in prison for many days on the false accusation that he was defecting to the Babylonians. The ninth thing, he, there was an occasion where he was imprisoned in a muddy cistern where he was let down with ropes uh, to sink in, into the mud up to his armpits and left to starve to death. Uh, number ten, he is held under arrest in the courtyard of the guard until Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians. Now, again, that's just a sampling of what this man suffered. Now, can you now, now just stop for a moment and imagine, totally alone totally alone. There's not a single person standing with him other than his scribe. And he's encountering this day in, day out. There's no let up to it for 50 years and remain faithful. And that brings us to that next question in your notes. Where? Where did Jeremiah find the strength to boldly and fearlessly stand alone for God in the public eye in the face of constant rejection, opposition, and persecution? And here's the answer. By being totally honest about his weakness, discouragement, and perplexities when alone with God. How did he find the strength to stand for God? In the midst of such hostility, by being honest with God about his weakness, about his discouragement, about his perplexities when alone with God. You know, folks, hear me now. This is so very important. The most amazing thing about Jeremiah is that he literally stands alone for God and he goes toe-to-toe with kings, with the political leaders of his day, with the religious leaders of his day. With the entire nation pronouncing God's judgment against them despite the fact that they hate him. Despite the fact that he's only met with pain, hostility, persecution, beatings, imprisonment, ridicule, mockings. Over five decades, he never, you can read the book of Jeremiah, he never flinches once in the public eye. He never falters once in the public eye. I mean, this man is like a rock. He's like a tower of strength in the eyes of the public. But get this man alone with God, and you see a totally different story. Alone with God, this guy is weak. This guy is discouraged. He's often frightened. He's often ready to quit, to throw in the towel. And he just has numerous pity parties right in God's presence. And let me give you a couple of classic examples. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15. Now, these are not pleasant passages to read. This is a man that is struggling. But praise God, he took his struggle to God. And in... Intimacy with God, alone with God, he was able to work through these. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 15. It's important to see the context. He, he, he's been struggling about, God, how can you do this to your people? He's struggling with that. You know, God, are you really being fair? And how can you use the Babylonians? Many of the prophets struggled with that, that sort of concept. And, and, and he, he pleads with God to have mercy on his people. And then early, just a little bit earlier, God says, hey, 
don't pray for this people anymore. I'm telling you, if Samuel or Moses were to stand and intercede for this people, I wouldn't hear. I mean, I'm going to punish them. I'm going to correct them uh, for their for their sin, and, and he's really, really struggling. And then look at verse 15. Thou who knowest, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. I mean, he's struggling. He's hurting with pain and suffering as a result of persecution. Do not in view of thy patience take me away. Know that for thy sake I endure reproach. Thy words were found, and I ate them. And thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of thy hand upon me, I sat alone. He's talking about his total isolation because of standing alone for God. For thou did fill, you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Wilt thou indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Notice he's accusing God of this. He's saying, God, it looks to me you've been deceptive. It looks like to me you've, been, you've lied to me. You've deceived me. I mean, you've called me into this. And I entered this ministry with, with gusto to serve you. And all I get is pain. All I get is persecution. All I get is isolation. All I get is rejection. All I get is mocking. I don't know if I can take this any, any longer. You know, I think you tricked me in this, this whole thing. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Notice what he says to his servant. If you return, then I'll restore you. In other words, he's, he's giving him a warning. He said, Jeremiah, I called you, and I'm going to be faithful to you. And I told you I would watch over you, not to fear, to proclaim my word, but right now, you need to have a personal gut check. You need to return so that I can restore you. Before me, you will stand. Before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though, you fight, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. Look at over at uh, chapter 20, another painful example of his struggle. Let me begin reading at verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. You hear what he's saying is? He said, I just feel trapped. You know, this is, this is painful. I don't like this ministry. Again, he's struggling. You know, you sort of seem to trick me into this. And, and yeah, I feel like just shutting up and just, just finding a hole and climbing up in it. But your words burn in me. I, I'm trapped. I got to speak. You know, it's, either way, it's like I, I, I lose, and, and there's nothing but pain. And then he goes, verse 10, for I've been 
the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will utterly be ashamed because they have failed. With an everlasting disgrace, they will not be forgotten. Yet, O Lord of hosts, thou who dost test the righteous, who sees the mind and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For to thee, to thee I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise to the Lord. For he has delivered the soul of the needy, one from the hand of evildoers. And then notice verse 14. I mean, it's like this guy's a schizo, you know. He, he, just, he just bounces here. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father saying, A baby boy has been born to you and made him very happy. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting. And let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon because he did not kill me before birth so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever, uh, ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? That's pretty raw, isn't it? He's a great man of God. Never faltered in the public eye, but get him alone with God. And you see his weakness. You see his fears, timidity, his discouragement. And that next statement in your sermon notes is a key here. By removing all human support and surrounding him with enemies, God had thrown Jeremiah completely upon himself. To the point the prophet literally had no one left to cry to or to lean on but God. God used the persecution. To drive Jeremiah to God's word and a life of prayer in which all of his pain, all of his perplexities formed an indissoluble link between the prophet's soul and God. You know, I told you at the beginning of this series, always be looking for those common denominators. And did not we see the same thing with Joseph and David? Joseph, 13 long years of suffering. Most of those years imprisoned as he's isolated with God. David, remember David? Becomes a fugitive on the run. And in absolute defeat crush, he crawls into that cave of Adullam in the Judean wilderness, a broken man. And you, you see this common denominator in all of God's saints, how he takes them through difficulty, takes them through adversity, removing all the crutches, removing all the supports, so that they have no one to cry to, no one to look to, but him. And it's in that relationship with God, in intimacy with God, that they resolve their pain, they resolve their perplexities, and God's strength is made perfect in their weakness, in their human frailty. Now, as we go to the Lord's Supper, just to quickly conclude, it's no surprise, as you see there in your sermon notes, that Jeremiah became a man with great faith in God, with a confident hope in God, in the assurance of God's love. A man of great faith in God, confident hope in God, and assurance of God's love. 
And I don't have the time now, but uh, later I would encourage you to look up those references that show you where the source of his faith, where the source of his hope, where the source of his love was. But folks, let me ask you a question as we go to the Lord's Supper. Where do we find faith today? Where do we find hope today to continue to go forward, to remain true to God, even when life is difficult and we're ready to throw in the towel? Where do we find love today, an unfailing love? And the answer is by looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the one who bore the penalty of our sin, canceled out our sin debt, rose again, who's alive, who's forgiven us of all of our sin, to be remembered no more, so that we can be totally honest with God. We can be totally transparent with God about our sin, our failure, our struggles, knowing because Jesus already took the penalty, He bore God's wrath, we can find mercy. As we're transparent, as we're honest, exactly what we see in Jeremiah's life, as he was transparent, as he was honest, as he didn't try to cover up, hide, but just exposed himself for the sinner he was, for the weak man that he was, the frightened man, discouraged man that he was. That's when God came in and gave him a power that Jeremiah couldn't have apart from God. And that's going to be the key in your life. As you learn not to have a pity party alone or complain and criticize. No, take that pity party to God. Take your complaint. Take your struggle. Take your fear, your failure, your discouragement to God. And in God's presence, through the faith in Him, through hope in Him, through His love, you'll see those things resolved. And like Jeremiah, you'll find the strength to stand alone. Amen? Bow with me in prayer, and as I pray, men, I'll ask you to go ahead and begin taking your places for communion. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this amazing uh, brief little lesson on the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Um, and Lord, uh, we see that his secret was not found in his strength, not in his ability, not in his willingness but the secret was found in your ability, in your weakness, I mean in your uh, strength. And I thank you uh, that we see here how your strength was perfected in his weakness, and we trust that we'll know your strength perfected in our weakness. And Lord, we thank you that we can know that because we have put our faith in Jesus. And through our faith in Jesus, we have literally been grafted into Jesus. He is the vine, we're the branches. And we can know that flow of the sap of the Holy Spirit into our weak branches, into our fearful branches, failing branches, to provide health, strength, grace, that Christ's life would be reproduced in and through us, that others would find nourishment. So, Lord, as we uh, partake in the Lord's Supper today, uh, we rejoice in our Savior, in our Lord. We rejoice in His death, His burial, His resurrection. We rejoice in the fact that we are one with Him. And thank you that we do not have to walk alone, that we will never walk alone. You will always be there with us to guide us when necessary to correct us and even when necessary 
to carry us. So, Lord, we pray as we focus and look to Jesus, uh, the author, uh, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith, that you, this very morning, would strengthen our faith, our hope, and our love in you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I would invite you to come now. Uh, uh, each of the men are stationed at different parts of the uh, pews, and uh, we'll come out to your right and then come back towards the left and you partake right here as the men. So please come and partake and rejoice in the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As our uh, elders and deacons are uh, being served, let me read you uh, one of the passages that you see there in your notes, uh, uh, the one related to hope uh, out of the book of Lamentations. I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Lamentations, but it was written by Jeremiah. It was written after the destruction of Jerusalem, and you need to picture uh, the scene. Uh, this man has been ministering for uh, close to 50 years, warning God's people of judgment letting them know that it could be averted if they would just turn to God in repentance and know His grace. But they failed to repent. And so here this man is, and he's seeing the devastation. He's seeing bodies strewn throughout the streets that have been slain by the Babylonians. And Lamentations is actual the eulogy he wrote. It's a funeral eulogy over the city of Jerusalem and God's people. It's the most depressing book in the entire Bible, but right in the middle of the book is this wonderful, wonderful jewel of hope. He says, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. God, Jeremiah knew just as God had punished his people, he would restore his people. Remember, it was uh, Jeremiah God took the potter's home, and this may be very meaningful to many of you if uh, there's anyone here in your field you've just sort of messed your life up right now. Takes him to the potter's house, and this potter working on the wheel on this vessel, and, he, and he's observing this, and then all of a sudden the, the potter realizes that the vessel he's working on has been marred. And you remember what he did? He took the vessel, and he shattered it. He broke it. But then he picked up all the broken, crushed pieces, and he started over again. And the Scripture says, and he remade it. And God said, Jeremiah, that's what I'm going to do for this people. I will break, I will shatter, I will crush, but I will remake them into a glorious vessel to honor me and to be filled with my life. 
And notice he said, this I recall to my mind. And what do we do with the Lord's Supper? We recall with our mind. We're called to what? Remember. And as we look on his death, burial, and resurrection, we find hope. Even in the midst of our sin and failure. That there can always be a what? A new beginning with God. God can always remake me. If I would only turn to him in repentance and total honesty and transparency. And that's what I encourage you to do. We always come out of the Lord's Supper providing a brief opportunity for the church family to minister to one another. We believe this is a very important part of the Lord's Supper. I would ask no one to leave until we conclude, and we'll conclude in just a few minutes. Uh, But I will remain right here as we have this time of ministering to one another. If anyone has any type of decision of a public nature or would like prayer, but this is a time for you to look around you right now. And as we've known God's grace, to give God's grace to one another, to provide encouragement uh, to one another, uh, to show love for one another. And so uh, right now I'll give you the freedom to move about to do exactly that. You may want to remain right where you're seated. Just continue to reflect on the truth, continue to pray, continue to worship, and then we'll conclude the service just in about three or four minutes. So uh, God bless you, and you now minister to one another and show one another the love that you've received in Jesus. Amen. Let me, let me invite everyone, everyone, please stand. Please stand and let's close the service by singing together uh, the last verse of this uh, great hymn. And then trust to see the children and youth back at 5.30, the adults over in Peacock Hall at 6 as I will be teaching. So let's worship him and praise him for his wonderful grace as we close the service.